Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All-Hit Radio! Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I'm your host and your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, and the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, iHeart Radio, and on the Trump Broadcast Network. If you'd like to uh, send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And to find out about the programming we have available for you 24 7, 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. My guest this hour is Ellie Marzulli, and he is an author, lecturer, and filmmaker. He has penned uh, 10 books, including the Nephilim Trilogy, which uh, made the CBA bestsellers list. He's received an honorary doctorate for the series from his mentor, Dr. I.D.E. Thomas, who was the provo at Pacific International University. He also was honored with a gold medallion award from the Chuck Missler and the K-House Conference in 2014. His series on the trial of the Nephilim 1 and 2 are full-colored, oversized books, which uncover startling evidence that there has been a massive cover-up on what a what he believes to be the remains of the Nephilim or the giants mentioned in the Bible. And, uh, uh, Ellie, welcome back to the Exxon, and you've got some very exciting information to share with us tonight. Well, thank you for having me here again. It's always good to be here. Thanks. All right. Recently, you held a press conference in Los Angeles. Why? Well, we did that because uh, we've been on the trail of the elusive DNA from these elongated piranha skulls. Mm -hmm. uh, we went down there in 2013 with a team of, we had one archaeologist, we had uh, our, our good friend and filmmaker Richard Shaw was there. And, um, you know, we just look at these things. We had an archaeologist with us, as I stated. We had Joe Taylor uh, from the Mount Blanco Museum who was able to actually mold one of the skulls. And we took that skull back, that mold, and we show that to people. But we were very curious because um, there are two schools of thought. The prevailing school of thought is that all these skulls were cradle headboarding, cradle right. deformation. Mainstream archaeologists pretty much hold to that paradigm. And, and I understand that, and we're not disputing mm -hmm. that, that some cranial deformation, cradle headboarding, uh, certainly takes place. That's sure. when you take a, an infant and you wrap it, bind the head, and you shape it. The question is, why are people doing this um, all over the globe? What's mm -hmm. the purpose of it? Why is the elongated skull something that's to be enamored or even copied? So we wanted to get DNA. Um, and there was one, one researcher down there who was, who was kind of ship, you know, um, taking some of the samples and sending them to one particular guy who was, we found out later was really not a geneticist. And so we distanced ourselves from him. But he released a, an email from this, from this guy stating that, Whatever the, the sample is, it's completely different than human beings. And that, that created a firestorm on the net. I think it was like 2014 or actually maybe 
midway through 2013, this happened. And people were up in arms. It's bad archaeology. Yeah. You know, who are these people? It's like, I'm, and so what we wanted to do was do it the right way. We wanted to, we got to, we wanted to get permission from the minister of culture, uh, which took by the way, almost three years, uh, to get, but we got it. And once we got it, we were able to go down and actually procure, uh, DNA samples from nine different artifacts, nine different skulls. Um, we also took DNA samples from private museums. Uh, certainly the Paracas history museum down in Paracas, Peru, uh, allowed us to go in and take hair samples and some uh, some tissue samples and bone samples. All of this under the aegis of the Minister of Culture of Peru. I had traveling documents with me. All the samples were in plastic bags. They were in my rollerboard. I had a document from the Minister of Culture, stamped, sealed, approved, my name, passport on it, the whole nine yards. So all this was uh, very official, very scientific. We work with two different labs. And that's, uh, we really wanted to find out, you know, what, What's the deal here? Are, mm -hmm. is there, are these genetic anomalies? Is it all cradle headboarding? Where do these people come from? A lot of questions. Sure. And and what were the answers? Ellie, are you there? Oh, I am. The okay. answers were absolutely astonishing, in my opinion. And in some ways, and I, it's sort of a bold statement to make, they do rewrite history, in mm -hmm. my opinion. Right. And lots of people will disagree with that, and that's fine. The DNA samples, we had 58 samples that were tested at two different labs. The main lab where we tested was the Paleo DNA lab in Canada. And what people have to understand is this is science. They have no idea what they're looking at. Mm -hmm. There's no dog in the hunt. They're just, you're giving them a sample. They're running the DNA on it. And they're going to let you know what the haplogroup is. Now, the haplogroup comes from the mitochondrial DNA, which is from the mother's side, the maternal side of the family. As of this date, we have not been able to get sufficient nuclear DNA, which is the other half of the equation, which would tell us volumes. We don't have it yet. We had a little small sample of it. From that, we were able to ascertain that the sample was male. We knew that, but that was it. It was. It's very, very frustrating because the samples are very degraded. Remember, right. most of these most of these artifacts, Rob, are, are two thousand years old. Some At of least, them yeah. eight hundred years old. Some of them even older. Mm -hmm. So this is ancient DNA, which is badly degraded. But we were able to have, get basically fifty-eight samples. Out of the fifty-eight, we revealed twenty-eight. The reason why we didn't do the others was because there was some guesswork involved from the lab. There wasn't sufficient data, so they would say, "Well, the haplogroup looks like U two E one, which is European, but could be something else." So we immediately didn't list it. We didn't we didn't show it because there wasn't enough sufficient enough data for us to go with it. Our archaeologist Mondo Gonzalez uh, really handled all that and presented that at the press conference. And what we discovered was, yes, some of the skulls came back, which is exactly what we would expect. It came back um, Asian, which is B1, which is what we would expect. The prevailing paradigm in academic circles, archaeological circles, is that at the end of the last ice age, people from Asia crossed what is now the Bering Strait, but then was the Bering Land Bridge. That's right. Yeah. And, and they came down and, and trickled down in the Americas. We're not disputing that. Yeah. Sure they did. We, we know that, that that's a fact, and we're not disputing that. All we're saying in our hypothesis is this, that people um, are curious, and they perhaps traveled from the Middle East and Europe thousands of years ago before Columbus did. That's our hypothesis. What's interesting is, is that Thor Heyerdahl proved that in, in two books, in one, one DVD, one was called Ra, the one most people know is Kontiki. The one I focused on was Ra in particular because he sails basically from the Mediterranean without a compass, puts up a sail, that's it, on a papyrus boat, a reed boat, a replica of what they would have used thousands of years ago. He winds up in Barbados without doing anything. The trade winds... And the currents just carry him to the island of Barbados. That's the new world. So he proves in modernity that the concept that our hypothesis has validity to it. People could have done this. Could, did they? Is there any scientific evidence? Well, that's why we're on the trail. That's why we're conducting the research. A lot of the evidence that we showed, the haplogroups, the mitochondrial DNA, came from the Middle East and Europe, specifically Eastern Europe, U2E1. One of the samples from what we call the baby skull, 
which we unwrapped and did carbon-14 dating. It was 1,935 years old. It came up when we was tested in two different labs, three different times. Every time it came up U2E1. Now, people will say, okay, it's contamination. That's always the default argument of the scientific community and academia. What we're saying is how many samples do we have to do and what kind of protocols do we have to exact before other people take a look at the data and begin to get curious about it? So far, no one has done that. The protocols we established were twofold. First of all, we had Chase Klotsky with us, who's a forensic field expert. And, and Chase would, would take bleach, a bleach cloth and wipe down the entire area where we were going to conduct the DNA testing. Then she would put down sterilized paper open from a forensically sealed envelope. And so we set up like a, a, a staging area. Mm -hmm. Mondo, Mondo and I were dressed head to toe with lab suits provided by the Canadian uh, Paleo DNA Lab. And these were full body suits, um, double gloves, double arm sleeves, headgear, footgear, and a face mask. And we both had uh, goggles or glasses on. So um, we changed out of these suits, Rob, for every, every skull that came in uh, to the room. There were nine of them that we looked at. They brought 10. We tested nine. And out of that, uh, as we would change skulls, Mondo and I would leave the room, go outside, take off our, our lab suits, don new lab suits, spray each other off with compressed air, and go back in. All right, and, Ellie, we've got to have a little bit of a cliffhanger here, my friend, sure. because we have to take our break. Exxon Nation, Ellie Marzulli is our special guest this hour with breaking news here on the Exxon. And if you'd like more information on Ellie Marzulli, his website is lamarzulli.net. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone broadcast network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand worldwide and more does this sound like tomorrow's television well it is but you can have it today right now it is simul tv simul tv offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like x-zone sci-fi and horror we are worldwide no other provider offers that 500 built-in video games no need to have an extra expensive system we have them included free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. 
As this is the first book in the esoteric series, modern esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Welcome back, everyone. L.A. Marzulli is our special guest this hour, www.lamarzulli.net. Mar- uh, L.A., I'm sorry that I had to cut you off. We had to go to our break, but please continue, my friend. Well, what was interesting is is that um, out of the 58 samples of, of DNA that, that we did, we, we actually um, were able to do 28 of them, like, mm-hmm. like we revealed. And um, all of this uh, data was presented by Mondo Gonzalez at the press conference. And again, the going back to the to the baby skull which we unwrapped, 1,935 years old, carbon dating came back. All three labs stated that it was U2E1, which is Eastern European. U2E1. So why does that rewrite history, in my opinion? Well, it shows that people from the Middle East came over. Mm-hmm. And we, we have we have U2E1, we have T2B, which is which is completely Middle Eastern. Right. We have X which is Druze, mm-hmm. all from, again, from the Middle East. We took our DNA samples and, and sent it up to the lab to make sure that we weren't contaminating the samples. One sample was contaminated with my DNA, it was immediately thrown out, out of the 58. So we didn't even include that. But they found one sample that, oops, that, that matches Marzulli's DNA, boom, out of here. So the protocols that we enacted were as good as you can get in the field. In fact, we had... Um, uh, one lab uh, commend us on just what our protocols were and the way we conducted um, the taking of the DNA. We used a Dremel, mm-hmm. and we would go in with a Dremel tool. We turn the skull over because we wouldn't want to uh, um, create holes in the exterior of the skull. We wanted to keep the structural integrity and, of course, the appearance of the skull intact. So we would turn the skull over and a lot of heavy bone in there. We would go in with a Dremel tool and we would clean off the surface of an area and just just take that and then we would take compressed air and blow that all off. Underneath was fresh paper just opened up and then we would take, we would move the paper, blow that all off and have a fresh sheet of paper. Then we would change the Dremel tool with a new Dremel tool or and that, those Dremel tools, by the way, were always soaked in bleach. Then we would go in uh, and collect fresh material from the interior of the skull and that would come off in, 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 the, uh, in a powder-like form and land on the paper. We would then crease the paper and chase our forensic expert. She would have gloves. She would hand me a vial mm-hmm. which was unopened. Okay, And this vial is specifically used in collection of, of DNA. And I would hold it with my lab suit on, with my double gloves, the whole deal. I would hold it. I would take the top off. Mondo's got the paper creased, and we would tap the powder into the vial. I would immediately seal it, give it to Chase. She'd tag it and bag it. That was that was the protocol. And in my opinion, I mean, unless you're in a lab, a sterile environment, which which is be great, it's it's really the way to go. So we we were commended on just the way we collected the DNA, and I think the results speak from themselves. It's something. Something is going on here, Rob. I don't know what it is we're looking at. I have no idea. I have my own personal belief, my own personal hypothesis that um, 3,500 years ago when the biblical account, which is, by the way, it's, it's also found in the Dead Sea Scrolls and the first century historian Josephus. So just as a matter of historicity, we can appreciate it. I'm not talking religion per se, even though I lean towards that. But just in its historicity, we can appreciate that these accounts are true. There, Joshua and Caleb uh, pressed the conquest of the Promised Land, of the land of Canaan, the Levant. And we know that these were, tribes were there. And is it possible that these tribes fled for their lives, for crying out loud? Some went northward, perhaps. Others built a papyrus boat and sailed in the, in, uh, across the sea 
to the new world. And why that might sound far-fetched, that's why I mentioned right from, right from the get-go Thor Heyerdahl's work, because he already proved in modernity that you could do it. So it's not some far-fetched idea. We got one researcher that believed, as I do, that people from the ancient world came over here and maybe settled. So more questions than answers, um, which is why we're still on the trail. We're, we've got to get the elusive uh, DNA from the nuclear side, the nuclear DNA from the, 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 the father's side of the equation, because that's going to tell us what we don't have. We know, we know where the mitochondrial, the female side, okay, mm -hmm. that's very, very interesting, extremely interesting, but we need the nuclear DNA. And we've got some interesting leads where we might be able to get that. We'll see. Now, I, I've had people on the show before, Ellie, who have, who have said that, that people from the Middle East used to trade with uh, the tribes, the Indian tribes of the Great Lakes for copper. And it would be brought back to the Middle East because copper and tin are used to create bronze. Bronze, yeah. yeah. So... I'm right there. I am right there. Yeah. Fritz Zimmerman and I uh, will actually be together next week, um, a week ago from to, a week from today, actually. Fritz and I are, will be doing some filming and we'll be doing some research together uh, in Ohio and, of course, Indiana, visiting many different mound sites. Sure. I, I concur. There, there seems to be a history which, for whatever reason, is inconvenient for academics to look at. And I, I'm sort of perplexed by this. I thought that the scientific community was all about truth, as we learned with the uh, <laughs> when they did the climate change. And, of course, this, this turned into ClimateGate years ago, yeah. that they threw out the data and just created their own because they didn't like the data. And when that was revealed, everybody just went, oh, my gosh, how could they do this? This is years ago that happened. I actually wrote about it in one of my books. But the bottom line is some, something is happening here. Where did all that copper that you mentioned in the Great Lakes go? Yeah. Here's something that's interesting. There's a place in Ohio called Flint Ridge, and I visited it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a fascinating place. And it's where A-grade, triple A-grade Flint came from. And the Flint pins are still there. You can go and you can walk around and you can see where the ancients took the flint from. Well, there's a guy that, that brought five acres across the street from Flint Ridge because the flint is all, it, it's, it's everywhere, okay? So he buys five acres. He's got a backhoe. This guy makes replicas of, of Adena points and Hopewell points. And some of these things sell for like 10 grand. He, he's, he's an amazing flint napper. So I got to go over and meet this gentleman. And I immediately started questioning him and asking him, well, have you found any odd artifacts? And he kind of chuckled and was very open about it. He said, yeah. He said, normally a Native American, a five foot six Native American, would use a maul, like a 10 pound maul. It's a rock. Right. And they would, they would throw that maul over their head, down over onto the flint and break the flint up and then collect what they wanted. And that, So the first process is you got to break the flint up with a, with a maul. Well, he found a maul that was every bit of 40 pounds. And I looked at him and I said, well, you know, what, what kind of a guy would be using that? And without me leading him or saying anything at all, okay, he just said, well, you know, it's interesting. They found a there's a farm over here. And about 10 or 15 years ago, uh, they were digging in a mound that they had on the farm. And they, they pulled out a giant. And I said, oh, really? Well, how big was a giant? He said, well, over nine feet. And, of course, the, the, the museum came, took the bones, and off mm -hmm. it went. And we've heard this over and over and over. So, you know, you put a nine-footer with a 40-pound maul, and it's utilitarian. You get, you know, I'm a, I'm a six-foot guy, and I could lift up 40 pounds. Do I want to use that on a day-to-day -day basis? I don't think so. So we find little clues like this, but it's inconclusive until someone actually produces a nine- or 12-footer. I mean, I've got pictures of one that I had three different – uh, researchers independently from each other look at the picture. It was a five by seven picture of Ralph Gooden standing in an openly, a uh, recently open uh, uh, grave out on Catalina Island, mm -hmm. and in front of him was a very large skeleton. And three different guys, no collusion between them, placed it at just under nine feet. So, I mean, I've got photographic evidence that the legends uh, of Native Americans that there were giants in Milan seem to be true. So, there you go. But Ali, you and I both know that that science and history and you know 
archaeology, they've been lying from day one. For example, we know that Christopher Columbus didn't discover the Americas, and yet they're still teaching that to kids in school today. They don't want to change history. They don't. They don't. And it's it's what I find alarming um, is just the resistance. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me. I think last time I was on, we talked about this, yeah. but you know, new people are always on the show, and it's always good to to re, uh, basically state it again, and I will. When I was out on Catalina Island and I discovered that picture, I published it in my book, Armor Trail of the Nephilim, volume, volume one. And it was there, and uh, I'm, I'm sorry, volume two. And uh, it, that, that picture made went viral. I was on the History Channels in Search of the Lost Giants with that picture with the Vieira brothers and, and showing them on their season finale. It was a great honor to be there. So Richard Shaw, the director of the Watcher series, and I go back out to Catalina Islands about six months after the Vieiras have already aired it. My book's already been out. And we go back to the museum, the old Catalina Museum. There's a new one now. And that picture was plastered up on the wall, Rob. The little five by seven black and white was blown up like two feet wide by maybe 14 inches high. And there it is. And Richard and I walk in and our jaws are on the ground because they cropped the giant out of the picture. And we, we did all this and filmed all this. It's in Watchers 10. And I came back immediately and we blogged about it and talked about it on radio shows. And, and why would they do this? Well, interestingly enough, uh, the new museum has got the picture. I was just there about three weeks ago. And it's back up on the board with the giant in it. But they don't talk about that the skeleton is a giant. They just show the picture. So it's funny how they go from this little five by seven picture mm-hmm. stuffed in a manila stuffed in a manila envelope uh, in a museum box sealed in a vault, which I discovered. It's my intellectual property. I got access to the to the vault, and I got to comb all through these records for like ten hours. So this is like real research going into the archives where most people can't go. And it took six months to get permission to do that in a $1,000 contribution. L.A., stand by. We've got to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exonation, L.A. Marzulli is our guest this hour. www.lamarzulli.net. We'll be back after the news. Don't go away. Broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. ABS Media The scientist and the mystic have been on an age-old, relentless search with one thing in common. They seek truth. Their paths converge in the 40,000-year-old practice of shamanism, an ancient science delving to the quantum level of life, facilitating healing, manifestation, and evolution. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, the founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Arts School, a unique Colorado State-certified occupational school, training shamanic practitioners and teachers. We also provide classes for empowering personal lives through shamanism. Our certification classes are in week-long segments, enabling international participation, and online classes and long-distance shamanic healing sessions are available. Come discover the science of magic in the limitless world of shamanism. www.findyourpathhome.com Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone broadcast network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. 
Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Welcome back, everyone. L.A. Marzulli is my special guest this hour, www.lamarzulli.net. All right, L.A., so here you are. These questions, my friend, are nothing new to you and I, and yet there's probably... People all over the world listening to us tonight saying, what the hell are they talking about? Uh-huh. Well, it, you know, it, getting back to the Baraka skulls, I mm-hmm. mean, they certainly are enigmatic. We also found uh, evidence of what we believe is genetic and not cradle headboarding. For instance, many of the skulls uh, show the foramen magnum, and this is, gets technical, but I'll walk everybody through it. The foramen magnum, simply put, is the brain hole. It's, it's where your spinal column attaches itself to the base of the skull. And everybody's got one. Mm-hmm. And a normal mm-hmm. human being, the foramen magnum, that brain hole, is about roughly in the center of the skull. And this balances the skull. It makes perfect sense. In the paracas skulls, the ones that we saw, many of them, the foramen magnum is so far pushed to the rear of the skull that if it's any further back, it's outside the skull. I mean, it's like all the way in the back. Now, the medical doctor on our team, Dr. Michael Alde, and our chiropractor, Dr. Malcolm Warren, as well as our anthropologist, Rick Woodward, all stayed up front on the record in in our book, in our DVD. There's no way you can cradle headboard and move the foramen magnum. You just can't do it. You can shape the head. We're not disputing that. But you can't push the occipital plate, the rear plate, back to the foramen magnum. You'll kill the kid. Mm -hmm. You will kill the individual. You can't do that. You can't move the foramen magnum. You just can't do it. So that's a genetic anomaly. Plus, uh, the critics, you know, the, the naysayers are going, well, when they cradle headboard it, uh, the foramen magnum hole is larger. Guess what? In the skulls that we examine, the foramen magnum is much smaller and completely different shape than a normal human uh, skull. Plus, the foramen condyles, which are these little little spurs of bone, which enable your head to rock to the left and right, to go up and down and say yes, that type of thing. Um, the foramen condyles are much more robust, larger uh, than the normal human skull. Then you've got the complete absence of the foramen ovales. The foramen ovales are these holes in the skull. When you turn a skull over, they're right behind the palate. And what these things do is they bring nerve endings and blood to the front of a, of a normal person's face. Well, they're not there in the Paracas skulls. There's an absence of the foramen ovales. So we think, based on the foramen magnum location, mm-hmm. the shape of the foramen magnum, the, the odd shape of the foramen condyles, the fact that in many of these skulls the foramen ovales are completely absent, we believe we're looking at something that's genetic. And Dr. Alde has gone so far as to state on the record that, in his opinion, he believes we're looking at a subspecies of humans. Okay. So this 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 is groundbreaking stuff, and more testing needs to be done, which is why you're, you're not hearing me say tonight, I you know, these are the, I'm not saying that, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Now, I have, I have my theory, I have my, my hypothesis of what I think these people are. Interestingly enough, uh, the forensic artist on the team, Marcia Moore, uh, brought these entities to life. Now, no collusion. She didn't know anything about these tribes that were living in the Levant uh, 3,500 years ago when the conquest of Canaan was pros- uh, uh, prosecuted. And so I, she drew this one picture, and, and she's a forensic artist, and sent it to me. And I just about fell out of my chair 
Because based on the position of the frame and magnum, she posited that this entity would have to have a much longer next. Well, I wrote her back and I said, I said, Marcia, are you aware that one of the tribes 3,500 years ago that was, that was in the Levant, in the Promised Land, are called the Anakim? And the Anakim translates long necks. Now, am I saying that the Paracas people are the Anakim of a long necks? No, I'm not. But I do find it extremely interesting that we're getting Middle East haplotypes, that the foramen magnum position and shape would necessitate a longer neck. Um, obviously, more testing needs to be done, and that's why we're on the trail. What is the significance, and how will this affect people of today? Because I'm sure people are saying, yeah, okay, so what? It's an archaeological find. It doesn't affect my life in any way. Why should I care? Well, as we get more information on this, what we're seeing, mm -hmm. and again, this is, goes back to my original hypothesis, that there seems to be an outside agency that is messing with the genome. Now that's that's still hypothetical. I yeah. I, I don't you know I've I've got some interesting markers. I've got haplogroups, groups which are showing Middle East, but I don't have a nuclear DNA. Mm -hmm. Now let's mm -hmm. say the nuclear DNA would come back unknown primate. Now we're off to the off to the races, because okay, what do you mean by unknown primate? Well, it's nothing in the in the gen bank, which it's not a chimpanzee. It's the closest thing we have is is Homo sapien, but it's mm -hmm. not a Homo sapien. Okay, now what are we looking at? We don't have that yet, all speculation on my part. But what happens if we get that? You know, what happens if, if, we, if it comes back unknown primate? Now what do we do? We, we, it's still unknown. We don't know what we're looking at. And at that point, I would probably try to raise the money to do an entire sequence of the genome to see what we're really looking at here and where, where it goes south, where it, where it differs from, from Homo sapiens sapiens. All right, if this find and this hypothesis of yours, and I'm not doubting you at all, okay? Let me say that right now. I'm not doubting you at all, L.A. I've got a lot of respect for you and the great work that you do and, and you. are going to be doing. How come the scientific community is not jumping all over this? Well, I mean, it is, it, that's that's a $64,000 question. I mean, when we release the, the data... Mm -hmm. Um, and the data is available for anybody. I mean, any scientists or I mean, I'll, I'll give them the data for free. They, right. they can look at the book that, that we compiled. They can look at the data and they can look at the work of Dr. Alde, our, anthropo our, our medical doctor, mm -hmm. or Rick Wilbert, our anthropologist. But <clears throat> what, we've, what I've discovered in, in doing this now for, for almost a decade, really, I mean, just, just this particular research, archaeological research, is that people in academia – in the scientific community, and Ben Stein's movie Expelled will back me up on this. They don't want to rock the boat, and they operate in fear. I'll just tell you a quick little story. Mm -hmm. There was a site that we had down in Peru. It's a kill zone, Rob. There are. It's a mass grave. It's not. It, there's no honor with with the killing of these people. Right. They're all they're all elongated skulls. Mass grave. No artifacts. They were stripped and they were killed with blunt force trauma to the left side of the head, which means somebody with a with a stone axe or a stone war club is coming up and whomping these guys and they're they're falling into a pit yep. and then they're buried. That's it. Okay. So we're looking at this. I went to a forensic anthropologist who works at a university and I said, Look, I will pay you to come down. I'll pay you, you know, what you fifteen hundred dollars for the week, all expenses paid. You need to look at this. We need someone with your expertise to tell us what we're looking at. And he was all excited about it. And at the very end, he got cold feet. And I met with him for lunch, and I said, why did you do this? He said, L.A., if I go down and I associate myself with this, I could lose my job. And then he said something off the record which blew me away. Now, I can't vet this. Your listeners have to do with it, with the information, what they're going to do with it. He told me that there was a construction site in Los Angeles. And I tried to track this down, but I haven't been able to do it. Construction site in Los Angeles. And they discovered down like 40, 50 feet or whatever, a very large femur bone. I mean, a really large femur bone, like a 30-inch large femur bone, which is twice the size of a normal human being femur bone. Mm -hmm. And the sheriff department or whoever, the authorities had this thing, and they contacted him and offered it to him, and he immediately declined. I said, why don't we go and do it together? He said, no, you don't understand. 
that if, if I if I come out with this, this goes against this is his words off the record, obviously, and I won't tell you his name. It's all right. Gotta, gotta protect the source. But he said, if I come out with this, it it it's so against the prevailing paradigm, I will be I'll be crucified. They will absolutely have a field day with me. And that was the last time we ever spoke. He wouldn't answer my emails after that. So there Unreal. you go. Unreal. What was the feedback at your press conference? How many members of the media came to it, and what was their feedback? Well, Jaime Lasson came up from Mexico with a film crew, oh. and he shot the whole conference and made uh, created a series for his own TV show in Mexico. Mm -hmm. He was ecstatic. He congratulated us for our but work. But wasn't he also involved in that uh, that alien mummy hoax? Yeah, he still is involved in that. And, you know, all he did was, I, I interviewed Jaime on this when it came out. Yeah. I said, you know, Jaime, it's like, I don't know what I'm looking at here. I lean towards hoax. What say you? And he said, well, we don't know what it is. That's why we're doing the research on it. So, but, you know, that was that was a big fiasco. That put the entire UFO community under a microscope. And, you know, it turned out that those who were associated with that, including Jaime, have no credibility whatsoever. Well, this this is this is the problem. And I was involved in, in a hoax with the um, which we called the, the fairy, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um we went down and through Jaime, and we finally got the thing out of Mexico and got to examine it. Well, all we had was when we went with it on our Watcher series, we had x-rays. And I was like real skeptical of it, but I took the x-ray to a veterinarian. I said, what do you think about this? And he looked at it and he says, well, it looks real to me. I see all the bones. I see everything's the way, way it's put together. I said, well, what are these, what are these white objects? And, he said, and I thought they were glue. And he said, no, 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 it's not glue. Those look like buckshot, birdshot. Somebody shot this thing. Mm -hmm. Well, when I heard that, that was it for me. I was off to the races because I got a veterinarian who looks at, you know, hundreds of thousands of x-rays in the course of his practice, thousands, and he thinks it's real based on what he's looking at. Well, so we went with it. And, we, and, we, and, we, and I said, right in my book, I said, more testing needs to be done. That's my caveat. So we finally get the thing out from Mexico. And we got it at another veterinarian's office. All right, L.A., we've got to pull our final uh, cliffhanger yeah. for tonight. Exonation. Okay. Ellie Marzulli is our guest this hour, www.lamarzulli.net. And we'll be back as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget the February-March edition of the X Chronicles newspaper is still available at xchroniclesnewspaper.com. Don't go away. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simultv, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simultv. Simultv offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, sci-fi, and horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at SimulTV.com. Do it today. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Exposé Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. 
I'm William S. Peckham. If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel, From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multifamily dwellings. Slums just waiting to happen. When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From Out of the Woodwork will take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001. Check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www.williamspeckham.com. Ellie Marzulli is our guest, www.lamarzulli.net. And uh, first of all, Ellie, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight here on the show. And uh, thank you. all your great hard work, you know, like you, you, you're out there, 724-365, my friend, and uh, you're to be commended for it. Thank you. Appreciate that, Rob. Okay, so here you've got this, this x-ray that you brought to a veterinarian who, like you said, literally sees thousands of x-rays, and he said that it looked like these two, two white dots were, were buckshot. So that's where we left off. So take it from there. And so, you know, we published it. We published the mm -hmm. findings. We believed it was real. We said the caveat was, well, more testing needs to be done. Yeah. So Jaime allows us to get the thing out of Mexico and we get it, and now we're in a, another veterinarian's office with two vets and two lab techs, and we're looking at this thing. First thing we do is do new x-rays on it. Mm -hmm. And, 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 the, and the, the new veterinarian, uh, Dr. Berry, is looking at it going, you know, something's wrong here around the pelvic girdle. It doesn't look right. And I said, well, there's a lot of buckshot there. You know, maybe the thing is fractured. He goes, yeah, okay. But he's not convinced. So right off, he's like, something's wrong about it. I don't know what I'm looking at. So this thing is, it was immersed in this liquid preser uh, for, to pr preserve the thing. Right. Like formaldehyde-based liquid. Mm -hmm. And the thing was starting to deteriorate pretty badly. And it's been out now for about an hour and a half. We've been looking at this thing, x-rays, we've been poking it, we took DNA samples. It's laying on a plastic tray. And I'm leaning over to this thing looking at it, and Dr. Berry and I are talking. And I noticed something underneath it. And I go, what the heck is this? And I take a pair of forceps and I reach down and I pick up which I don't know what I'm looking at. And I hold it up to Barry and I go, what's this? And Barry goes, well, that looks like some kind of wood with some kind of glue, like epoxy on the end of it. We put the thing down. We go running back over to the x-ray. We blow up the section where the shoulder is. Sure enough, what we see is that it's been manipulated. Oh, gosh. That it's a hoax. That it's a hoax. And, and, and we started taking the thing apart. We found a plastic piece that was right next to the spinal column, but it attached a head to the pelvis. We And then we went on from there. The moment we found that out, I was on the phone to two of our sources where I had just come back from doing television interviews about this thing. I said, stop the presses. It's a hoax. Wednesday, this was on a Saturday. The following Wednesday, Richard Shaw, the director of the Watchers, and I are up at uh, Santa Barbara Zoological Museum talking to a zoologist. We, we have it all on film. You can go to Vimeo and watch it for free. Anatomy of a hoax. He dissects this whole thing, showed us how it was done. Very, very cleverly done wow. by an expert uh, guy. But the bottom line is we get kudos because we proved it was yep. a hoax. And sometimes that's what research does. You know, it's just like, like Piltdown Man. Mm -hmm. For how many years did that go off as well? Here it is. Oh, and then only in, you know, modernity was it proven to be a hoax. So yep. we, we proved it. And the moment we found out, bam. We released it to the public. There was no, you know, sidestepping. Well, maybe we shouldn't say that. Yeah. No, we had egg on our faces, and but we were we were forthright, and that's what being on the trail is. And if I discover something with the Paraka skulls, then I'll tell you what we find. That's why we're on the trail. You know, I've been doing this show for 28 years. I've known you for uh, a great number of years, and you and I have both witnessed a lot of strange things that have come across our desks. Why do you think that people still have the need to perpetrate hoaxes? Don't they realize they're going to get caught? Well, that's, on YouTube especially. Oh, gosh, yeah. 
Yeah, it's just it's just everywhere. People send me, oh, hey, have you seen this about a giant? And it's the same old thing. It's all Photoshop nonsense. And, you know, my, my research with the Catalina mm -hmm. giant, it's one of the real photographs you can look at. It's been vetted by three three researchers who examined the photograph, digitized the photograph, put it up on, on their particular platform, and, and all of them came back right around nine feet. So we know it's real. Um, it, it's a, And I took a photograph of the black and white photograph, and we had someone examine my photograph and said, you know, 99% certainty there's no evidence of Photoshop. But you go on, on the net, why are all these giants on, on the net? I mean, why? Yeah. So in other words, when you come out with the real thing, People have been so desensitized that they don't care. Just like with the DNA and the elongated skulls here. It's like people say, well, you, you raised that question before the last break. It's like, you know, well, how does this affect me? Yeah. Well, if my hypothesis is true, it points back to the validity that there might be a supernatural. Because my hypothesis states that these nefarious interdimensional entities, i.e. fallen angels, which the Bible talks about, mm -hmm are mating with human women. And this is in Scripture. When you go to Genesis 6, it's there. Yep. The, the sons of God, the fallen angels, saw the women of earth. They had sex with them. Their offspring were the Nephilim. So we know it's there. I mean, it's written. But in no the, disrespect, Ellie. We're also yeah. talking about a book who said that everything that we know was created in six days. And we also well, know for a fact that the first four books of the Bible were written by Moses. Right. You know, and we have to also ask the question, Ellie, if... The events that occurred in biblical times right. that created such a stir that all these people wanted to write all these magnificent things, if they were to happen today with our knowledge of science, how would they have been written? Were they as spectacular as the Bible puts them out to be? Okay, let's, let's, let's deconstruct this. First of all, I believe in the literal creation of six days. However... I do not believe that the Earth is only 6,000 years old. I believe that this universe and this whole thing is millions and millions of years old. Mm -hmm. Something incredibly cataclysmic happened in the far distant past. And this is where you get two Hebrew scholars together, you'll get three opinions. <laughs> but you do. Tohu avohu. And basically, is it laying without you know form? It, it's yeah. it's without form or void. Um, what are we looking at? What are we really looking at? In, in that first sentence of Genesis, without form mm -hmm. and, and void of life. Okay, I get that. Was it a recreation? In my opinion, it was. So, and here's something interesting. In my film, Fatima 2, which will be released, shameless plug, it's sometime in April. I'll send you a VIP link to that, Rob, so you can see it yourself. I'd appreciate that. Thank you, L.A. Sure. At the end of the film, there is a, a composite clip mm -hmm. I show of so-called sun miracles and apparition sites happening in modernity. The media doesn't cover this stuff, but there it is. It's all real footage, and it's all over the world. But and it, why, why does what the people do? But why doesn't the media cover it? They cover stupidity. Why not cover <laughs> stuff that is that is real? Any for the well, you know what's interesting, and I blogged about this today. Um, we had disclosure. I think the last time I was on your show, we kind of talked about this. We had the F eighteen pilot Fravor come on mm -hmm. Fox News, Tucker Carlson. How does how does this obscure nobody wind up on primetime Tucker Carlson Fox News USA? How does that work out? And where does he get the declassified film that they hand to Tucker to show of what appears to be a UFO? And he comes on and he says, well, what I saw was not of this world, number one. Then you get Harry Reid, you know, former Senator Harry yep. Reid saying that there's a secret government, government um, think tank, what have you, to uh, study UFOs. Well, the guy doesn't ask the question. Well, Harry, how are they studying them? That's are right. They, is they back engineering craft? Or are they just sitting around looking at old black and white photos from the 50s? I mean, what are they really, you know, how is this study group? And it's millions and millions of dollars like every year. The third thing is the government admits it in the reality of Area 51. But since then, about every three to four weeks, there's another film that comes out. There's another little bit of disclosure that comes out. And there was one that was released over the weekend. Um, is it a hoax or not? I don't know. It sounds real. It looks real. I have no way to vet the thing, but I went with it today. And it shows another pilot uh, zoning in on this thing and locking it in on his radar. And he's saying, oh, what the F, you know, on on the thing, uh, on the film. And you can make of it what you want to. But again, that that clip is in all, it's on Fox News, it's on CNN, it's on Drudge Report, it's everywhere. 
So it's like, is this soft disclosure? Yeah. And I think we're leading up to something, but who knows what. Well, it'll be interesting to see uh, because, like I was saying there, with all the different aspects of the paranormal that are out there, you've got ghosts, you have Bigfoot, you have the Loch Ness Monster, you have lake monsters, and so on and so forth. Then we bring it right back to UFOs, extraterrestrials, uh, alien abductions. If we were to put these all together, there are a lot of strange things going on that only a very select few are able to tune into. And to me, that, that's a red flag. You know, I, I, I don't know what to say to that. It's just, um, I mean, there's so many people that I come in contact mm -hmm. with. I mean, even, even within the churches and pastors who have a very truncated view of the supernatural. I'm a frank supernaturalist. So I look at things, my worldview might be different than yours or, or Joe Blow's on sure. the street, whatever. Yeah. And, but I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to force my particular paradigm. I understand that, that and I respect it, yeah. <clears throat> but I believe that the supernatural is, is more real than the natural. And I think mm -hmm. that as we move forward in time, we are going to see supernatural events that will stun people. I really but is, do. But isn't it, isn't it ironic, Ali, that the people who usually have the paranormal or the supernatural events are those who are cloaked and have a deep belief in theology? Well, yes and no to that. I mean, there are people who have had encounters and, and are completely atheistic. They don't believe in anything. And they've had encounters and they're going like, you know, it, it's, it's rocked their paradigm. It's rocked um, their worldview. One such man, Howard Storm, who we interviewed for one of our Watchers film. Um, Howard had an NDE, a near-death near experience. He was a he was a blatant atheist. I mean, not an agnostic. I mean, an atheist. He didn't believe in anything. And he was a teacher, an art, an art historian, an art teacher. And he would take pride in dismantling uh, young, starry-eyed Christian boys and girls who would attend his class. He would just cut them to pieces. He was much older, and he delighted in that until he had his little near-death experience, which was life-changing. I mean, it changed his life. He's now a pastor. All right, Ellie, I hate to do this, my friend, but you and I have to say so long for tonight. Exo Nation, Ellie Marzulli has been our guest this hour, www.lamarzulli.net. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell, and you can always find out what we have going on on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at www.xzbn.net. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com.
Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 